for the community. Inspire Radio. Okay, um, you are back on Inspire Radio. It is now 7.54 on this lovely Sunday morning. You're on Talking Sport with Orazio here on Inspire Radio. Okay, um, we're going to move on to um, a segment that I really enjoy and I hope that you guys out there will enjoy as well. Um, Coach's Corner. So the aim of this segment is to discuss coaching philosophies and thoughts. And the whole idea is to assist our fantastic community coaches out there in the various sports that are on offer. As I've mentioned before, coaches play a huge role um, in the enjoyment of the sporting experience for our players. And I hope that throughout the uh, the shows that we will have and the, and the great uh, guests that we have, we'll be able to provide some inspiration and all that sort of stuff. Okay, um, so introducing our next guest, Stephen Broberg. Now, Steve has a fantastic background in sports coaching, holds a master's degree in sports coaching and is a high-performance accredited cricket coach, as well as an accredited and successful AFL football coach. Um, Lives in South Australia, um, but has had experience working professionally in sport in Victoria, WA and South Australia. Currently, Stephen is also the head coach of Prospect Cricket Club in the Saka Premier Cricket Competition. And he's also a successful uh, under-16s coach for Harndorf Football Club. Let's welcome Steve to the show. How are you, mate? Yeah, very well. Very well. Very lovely intro there. Uh, Arasio, a successful coach in the under-16s at Harndorf is certainly one thing that I hold quite high on my priority list. Yep. Well, um, I know personally that um, there's there's a, a, a community there that really loves the work that you're doing with um the young lads there at Handel Footy Club. You've, you've coached them for two or three years now um, voluntarily and um, you've been able to inspire a lot of young young players to really take control and love their footy, haven't you? Yeah, it's been an interesting process rolling in. So I've actually been involved with the club for uh, probably five years now. When I first arrived at the club, uh, I didn't really know anybody and I just moved across from Western Australia. And I went and met with the president, whom at the time I was working in cricket, and it was about 45 degrees on the day, <laughs> as is standard for, for South Australia hot days in the summer. And uh, standard me, actually. I had not prepared well enough and brought enough um, water for the kids. And the president of the club drove past on a little ride on lawnmower and said, oh, geez, pretty hot day, mate. I've noticed that you've only got a couple of gallons of water here. Might rock up... Um, a bit later on and give the kids an icy pole and a drink. And sure enough, that's exactly what he did. And I uh, said to him there and then that I'm a man of uh, who likes to respect um, people that do the right thing and um, said to him, I'll come down and volunteer at his club. And uh, first opportunity I got with them with the boys was we had a bit of an helping out another club. We didn't have any juniors at all. So we took our bottom age group and went and played under their banner for mm-hmm. a year. And um, safe to say we lost by an average of oh, 150 points <laughs> <laughs> most weeks. Yep. Um, so that would have been that would have been difficult to um, I guess keep the enthusiasm amongst the group. Was there was that was that true? Like, oh yeah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, these are young young boys that we're talking about yep. that um, will often try to emulate their heroes, and um, I guess. You know, contrary to what the world might say, uh, these boys actually wanted to win and um, they felt, well, they got a lot of a sense of satisfaction out of um, being competitive. Mm-hmm. 
when, when you're not competitive, the best thing we could have done for them was to help them understand the process and the system that we're putting in place and then hand over to them. Yep. And I think I think you know, you know yourself or aren't you know what that's like when you get to um, get empower, empower your athletes and the world's your oyster. Yeah. So just for our, our listeners out there that may not understand that concept a little bit, do you want to just sort of talk us through um, – that philosophy, I guess, and, and empowering the players to sort of take control of their own their own destiny? Well, yeah, sure. Like, like anything in life, Horatio, um, we all want to be able to feel like we contribute. Yep. And in and if you're not feeling like a part of that, like you're being a part of that contribution, then more often than not, it disaffects the individual. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea is uh, comes from or stems from the self-determination motivation theory where people obviously with self-determination, meaning that they want to be able to determine where they go and uh, as a collective, how they get there. Yeah. So uh, for me, even though uh, most you know, most leading sports are trying to water down to under 12 football, cricket, rugby, or whatever it might be, I feel like 12-year-old kids are still competitive little animals. Yeah. <laughs> And as soon as I hand it over to them, some areas of responsibility, such as preparing their warm-up or asking them how they'd like to structure the the field, um, the strategies that they'd like to employ. Mm -hmm. And some of the, uh, in fact, week to week, we were getting the players to run the training session under our facilitation as coaches. We were finding that they were falling deeper and deeper in love with the game. Yep. And, of course, we were getting those extracurricular. So away from the hygiene factors of, of sport, you know, the technical, the tactical, mm-hmm. we're getting some leadership capabilities into these young men at an early age whom were already leading their teammates in the school lunch yards, after school on the push bikes. Mm-hmm. And we were just helping to cajole that into a, into a fashion that would be, I, I guess, managed by us coaches, but led by these young men yep so for some coaches um it's probably a bit of a scary proposition to sort of think hey um eight 12 year old kids um what's training going to look like today off you go sort of thing um you know you know would would you advise coaches to sort of say well just 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 give it a go like you know actually acknowledge that these kids might know a little bit more than you probably give them credit for yeah, well, the coaches, we coaches can forget so much about our youth now that we're um, we're we're in the coaching sphere. Uh, I don't know about your right there, but I was a bit of a I was a bit of a sport tragic. I would be sitting in my bedroom long into the hours of the night with a football under one hand or a cricket under the other, and devising ideas and plans on how we were going to find ways to win our game of cricket or win our game of football or beat my mates in the schoolyard. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I found that to be uh, something that a lot of coaches have forgotten. And when they actually get in touch with that again, like um, Hardwick for the Tigers, mm-hmm. uh, he's got a lovely little 20-minute video out there talking about how he was able to reconnect with what the passion of coaching is all about and effectively get stripped back to exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah. Is um, embracing your inner child, and in, and letting that that love of the game wash over your players as well, and 
just back to a point you made before, Rat. All right, Theo, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, listeners. Um, was uh, was that sometimes it can be daunting to have players uh, have the players run the training session. Well, if we're a little bit more um, organised as coaches, what we were what we can do, and what I have seen work really well, is get the players to come in and show you the training session, the session before they're about to re- um, run or deliver their mm-hmm. program. And then we can help guide them to, okay, has this got enough activity in it? Where is the communication going to come from? What's the transition between activities look like? Is this working towards our overall strategy, particularly in football, uh, of moving the ball quickly or longing and down the line or yep. switching the play? And if we get, if we can just be a little bit more organised and be a little bit more vulnerable as a coach with your players, I feel like it actually endears you to the players and the players, the parent group, as well as empowers your players. So it's a twofold, um, it's a twofold victory for every coach, really. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the day, we're, we're as as a coach, um, one of the your main roles really is to facilitate. Um, a good a good experience for for the players. So um, there are obviously some coaches out there and that think it's all about them. Um, but at the end of the day, you're just trying to facilitate a good experience for the players to just um, enjoy enjoy their time and, and make sure that 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 hour a week or two hours a week that they invest is as good a time as any. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, there's a couple of things that come out of that for me, Arachio. The first one is that. Often it's easy for coaches to think that they should be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. When we take a look at how sports is portrayed on our television screens, often the coaches we'll are front see, and center, aren't they? Yeah, they're up front and center, and they'll talk for ten minutes, and everyone want to ask them all these questions. But that's only an isolated moment for that coach. What they don't see is that when they're actually at training. The, the players are having a, a ball, they're engaged, they're yeah. having fun, the coach loves them. I mean, Nathan Buckley is a perfect example of that. You go watch Collingwood's training five years ago compared to now as he's evolved as a coach. There's smiles, there's laughter. Yeah. Yes, they work hard. But, it, but you don't do anything in life not to have fun. So that I think we, we, we need to get away from, as a collective um, community, we need to get away from trying to, uh, make the coach a venerated person and the be-all and end-all of mm-hmm. the knowledge of within within the team. Yeah. And then the second part of that is one thing I really feel that gets missed in Australian communities is that we only focus in on the two hours of play on a Saturday or a Friday night or a Sunday that the boys are playing in. The journey is so much more exciting than that as a player and as a coach. When we're at training on a Tuesday or a Thursday night, I've got these boys for four hours, two hours each night, plus two hours on game day. So six hours I have them for the week. And that, for for me, is just such a privilege to have them for six hours. So when I do have them, I want to make sure that they're having a really good time. They're enjoying being a cohesive team. And once again, I come back to that phrase, falling in love with the game. Yeah. Yeah. Because... Um... In, in a strange way, it's that investment um, in the sport that um, enables you to, to to do well. And what do well c- can be a number of things. Do well could be, um, you know, feel part of the community to 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 
tap into that tribal instinct where you want to be part of something. So to to want to continue to be part of the community and be part of something, be part of a team or a club or something like that. Or um, it could be, you know, taking the taking the sport seriously and moving through the grades and 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 going away. Like what what you as an individual consider a victory or a win or success um, are all different to everybody. And I guess as a coach, if you can tap into that and understand the motivations for each of your players, the better you're going to be able to facilitate a good experience for them. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, Herzberg's two-factor theory talks about motivating factors that increase employee job satisfaction. If we're able to transpose employee to uh, players' satisfaction, they're not coming uh, to, to football for me uh, to seek from me all the technical and tactical elements of uh, of the game, or even with cricket, what they're actually coming to is they're coming to the group uh, to the group session to find a connect connection with and a cohesiveness with their teammates and a broader connection to the community. And once we realise that that players don't actually care about how much I know, they just want to know how much I care yeah. about them. It makes a tremendous difference in life as a coach and it yep. makes a tremendous difference in the lives of our players, which is, again, really important to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that relationship, it's all about, I mean, any success in life, um, whatever it may be, whatever, but coaching, um, your work, your, your workspace or whatever it may be, it's those relationships you build um, that make the difference. And, and um, for some, uh, I guess even for for the male listeners here and, and the male coaches out there, that might be a bit of a scary thought. Oh, develop a relationship with my players, but but all that means is that um, the better you know your players, the the more you understand them, and the better they're going to understand you. If if you're um, standoffish or if you're very authoritarian or, or something like that, you may not really grab the best out of your players, and 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 that pedestal hierarchical type thing might get a little bit scary for your players. And that's whether they're kids or adults. Well, a really good example of that, all right, Terry, is yesterday I had my prospect boys out on the Oval. We were only supposed to train for two hours. Mm -hmm. And uh, got to the end of the two hours and I said to the guys, so about 15 minutes to go, and I said to the guys, look, we're just about to finish, but I want to give give it over to you. Let's play some backyard cricket here. So teams of six versus six, you go make up your own rules and go play. Fast forward 45 minutes, they're still playing. And I'm talking <laughs> about 24, 25-year-old men. Yeah. While this is happening, I'm walking around having conversations with some of the players, and I came across one of my subcontinent boys, and he had a he had been working quite a bit. He's working from Monday to Sunday. He does Uber driving during the night and during the day, he's working at Coles and going to university at the same time. Now, if I had so not somewhere along the line, he's, he's fitting in some cricket as well then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The worst thing is he's an, he's an absolute superstar with the, as a spin bowler. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like he's got the potential. There's no ceiling for him um, as, as to how far he can go. But because I didn't know prior to our conversation yesterday that he had so many other constraints in his life outside of cricket, I was always asking myself, why is everybody talking this guy up so much? I, I don't really see what they're seeing. Yeah. And now, after the conversation, I'm seeing that the guy's got more problems on his plate than um, can meet 
<laughs> that yeah. any human being should have to deal with. Yeah, he's tired. <laughs> he's, he's tired, yeah. yeah. So funnily, funnily enough, we had another conversation with another player and we're able to get him out of doing some Uber, he's Uber driving. He's out of doing that um, this Monday. He's now going to start working with one of the other guys in the team who's a paver and he's going to be working with him full time. So now he's only got one job that's paying him well, yep. university, and he can play some cricket. Yep. And the smile on his face was... yeah. I mean, I don't think he'd be smiling too much come Friday after having to lay about four thousand pavers. Labouring, yeah. But 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 what you've done, you you've you've built a relationship and you're able to provide a solution to a problem that he thought he was the only one that could deal with. Um, and and that's simple. That that was um by chance, I guess, a little bit. But um, hmm. that that conversation just changed changed everything. And and. Those conversations are the, uh, part of the part of coaching, and I think at any level, but be it beginner level or a higher level, having the bra- being brave enough to have the conversation. And sometimes that conversation is not a good one. It's, it's not not a nice one. But um, as a coach, you've got a you've got a bit of a responsibility to that person, and you don't know, especially with young players. That you said you like with your your young players, you see them twice a week for two hours. You don't, I mean, you know a little bit about them, but you don't know everything about their their home life. They, those two times two hours, those four hours could be the best four hours of their week by a, by a mile. Um, so you've got a responsibility to that person to sort of provide, make sure it's a good time because there's other stuff happening in their life that's probably not so great. But that two hours that they, or four hours you've got um, could be the little bit of sunshine for them. It's amazing how that can work. I mean, for 240 minutes a week, uh, I've got the boys for training. Mm-hmm. Out of 1,047 minutes in the uh, in the week, I've got them for 240 minutes. Yes, listeners, minutes. he's a bit of a nerd. So, yep, you probably worked that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for those for those those minutes that I've got them, the boy, uh, the players, I want to make sure that they really are really engaged. Uh, are feeling valued, feeling loved, and feeling like they're worth a million dollars, which goes back to my coaching philosophy. A uh, bit of a journey. Um, you know, coaching philosophy is quite an interesting conversation mm-hmm. at the best of times, but developing your coaching philosophy, uh, I guess I was a, I guess I was probably always trying to find the best solution, but what I was missing was that uh, I needed to find what was right for me not what was right for other people to read on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And where, where and, have you got uh, to with that? Well, it's still evolving. Um, yeah. At the moment, my coaching philosophy basically boils down to uh, one phrase, and that's make them feel a million dollars. Yep. I like that. Simple. Uh, yeah, it's nice and simple. I mean, originally I wrote a, do- a, a doctorate almost on uh, my <laughs> coaching philosophy and a it's because I wanted to be the smartest person in the room, and I, I guess my ego was getting in the way, being quite vulnerable here. My ego was getting in the way of me um, of, of me actually enjoying the coaching process and being a coach. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that after some time, I mean, this is, this is something that took me 10 years to find a ratio. Yeah. 10 years to develop a coaching philosophy. Yeah, and but that, it, it is a journey, and that's where I think, I think a, a really good message for – um, look, especially those, let's say, first-time coaches um, that have, you know, I guess they were playing um, musical chairs and they were the last one to to be knocked out. So therefore, hey, you're the you're the coach this this year for the under twelves t ball team or whatever it may be. 
and you're probably thinking, oh, wow. Um, you turn up to your first session and you look down and there's these, you know, loving little kids looking up at you, um, waiting to hear your pearls of wisdom. And you're thinking, oh, no, how do, how do, how do I do this? Um, I, I guess one of the, the messages can be, look, you don't have to be the expert. You, you don't have to know it all. Um, just make sure they have fun and, and you probably won them over. Well, that's right, and then that's the process, that's the beginning of getting them into loving the game, as yeah. you said earlier. Just, just make it, sure they have fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting to talk about um, coaching philosophies and values. I just recently came back last year from Cricket Australia doing their Level 3 course, mm-hmm. and we spent, oh, I think it was about eight days up in Brisbane at the National Performance Centre trying to work out what we are as a coach. And I found it fascinating that when I spoke with the coaches that I was with, some of these guys are ex-players, some of them are current players, some of the girls are current players, some of the girls are currently coaching um, high standard of cricket at the moment Mm -hmm. um, in in Australia. When I spoke to them away from the education that was being provided by Cricket Australia, their authenticity towards their philosophy in life and philosophy philosophy in coaching was right there for anybody to see. Mm-hmm. And But as soon as we walked into that coaching space, um, albeit uh, high performance, yep. they changed. Even I changed. And um, that was something that was quite confronting to me as a coach, particularly because I thought I was, well, I felt like I was a confident person. And then when you walk into that environment, somehow it was changing the way I wanted to coach. I wanted to be viewed as, you know, the technical coach, the smartest coach. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, to prove to everyone around me that I should be there. And it took me three days and a conversation with, uh, I don't know if you know, John O'Dean played for yep. the Strikers. Yep. Mm-hmm. He conversation with him that brought me back to, my center and it was really simple and it was actually a compliment from him he said but you're you're more of an amazing guy than you realize just be yourself when you go back in there because everyone here can see how much you care and it was a really simple phrase that brought me back to being me and it probably rubbed a a number of cricket australia staff the wrong way (laughs) but it got me back to coaching in the way that I wanted to coach and uh, I can rewind all the way back to when I was coaching in Geraldton uh, with the Midwest uh, Cricket uh, Association Yep. and my my most fun that I had with that moment with those in that environment was with a bunch of boys that would wake up at six o'clock in the morning and meet me down every morning meet me down at the cricket nets Mm-hmm. for two hours of training before school and we had jokes we wore ridiculous looking shirts we had silly hats um water balloons and you know it was all old manner of silly things were happening there and uh, now i have a look at these boys at their and they're 20 years of age they're dominating local cricket up there some of them are playing for uh so premier, premier cricket, cricket in wa yep yeah yeah and uh they were always going to be talented kids, but what I was really happy with was that that was when I was at my best, when I was just coaching 
to enjoy coaching rather than worrying about the outcome. I was really engaged in the process and the journey yep. with the boys. Yeah, because they don't have to become experts overnight. Um, uh, that, that's probably something I guess uh, a lot of coaches probably um, fall into the trap. They, they, they try to teach everything in, in you know three sessions and, and they don't need to. So just think of it as you being part of their journey through and whatever that journey may look like for each player, it's it, that's going to change all the time. But as long as you, you just um, are able to think, well, I'm going to pass on this player to the next person that they're going to um, coach, whoever's going to coach them or guide them or mentor them through. And as I hand over, I'm going to hand over with one, two or three skills, we'll say. Um, and that's it. That's all they need to know at this stage. Um, the little 12, 13-year-old doesn't have to be an expert in their field at 12 or 13 years of age. All they've got to probably have is a greater understanding of the game itself, how to play that particular game, whatever the game may be, and be a little bit better in one or two facets of it. And that's it. Because it's going to take a long time to, to we'll say, master those skills. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I mean, we've just got to look at the football over the weekend or the cricket that's occurring yeah. in the IPL at the moment. We've still got boys that are, can't hit a 20-metre kick at the moment. They're still developing that. They're still developing how to uh, deal with pressure in, 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 in the football environment. I yeah. mean, Hamish Hartlett would probably want his time again um, <laughs> for that deliberate out-of-bounds. Yeah. Uh, uh, or, or, you know, we go have a look at Pat Cummins who can't, bowl uh, with the impact that he wants to bowl with at the moment in the IPL, but he's yep. peeling off 50s, still developing himself as a cricketer. Yeah. And I guess that's where we get lost uh, as coaches too early in the piece. You're Horatio, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. We can't fix everything overnight. In fact, uh, more often than not, we can't fix one thing over a long period of time for the players if they don't want to invest in, yeah. in it. But what we can do is, we, uh, again, I come back to is just set up that environment that helps the players find what works for them. Yep. And I guess that's sort of a bit of a segue for me to talk about. And I'd love to hear your, uh, I'd love to have this conversation with the with the broader group of your listeners about how do they engage. So you, before we, we talked about the last person standing sort of takes on the coaching role. Yeah. But what I've, what I've found is that even though you're the last person standing, all the people that stood back before you were able to stand back, <laughs> they actually all want to help as well. Yeah. And the, the coach... They just don't want can, to be the leader. They just don't want to lead it. So yeah. how does the coach engage with the broader families that are around your team to bring them in and help with the development of their players? It's certainly something that... I've tinkered with over the last four years in my voluntary role at Handel Football Club. And I've got to say um, that the parents that I work with are just the best parent sport parents you're ever going to want to work with. But such a beautiful family of, um, of, of oh, our community of football is just such a beautiful family that I can ask a mother to come in and she'll roll balls out for the boys I can ask a father to come in and help out with the Ruckman and ask another um, brothers of older brothers of the team, of my team, to come yep. in and help out with midfield. And then I'm just getting to walk around as a coach and developing these other coaches and developing my players at the same time. And I just wonder how often or how regularly we talk about that as a community, the, the ability to engage 
as a coach, yep. other parents or other people to bring into your system and help out. Yeah, I think I think it's quite important. And for those those new coaches that are out there, don't um, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, don't think you've got to be the expert. Um, I think what you've got to be good at is building relationships, and that can be as you've just mentioned there, Steve, um, with the people around you. So if if you think, geez, I'm I'm not great at this, um, just put the word out. Who can help with this, you know? And it doesn't have to be the best session in the world. It doesn't have to be fantastic. It's, it's, it can only be as good as what you've got. So just make sure that what you're doing is is um, as good as you can be. So if, uh, for instance, you engage, like you just said, with um, the parent who's rolling the footballs out of training or before in warm-ups pre-game or whatever it is, um, that's fine. But, you know, and, and it'll be what it'll be. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be the perfect set. If that's as good as we can offer... Well, that's what it'll be, and the players will appreciate that. They'll, they'll get it. They don't. They're not expecting um, professional level um, coaching servicing. They they just they just want a bit of time. They just want someone to throw some balls at them or put some cones out or help facilitate the training session. Oh, it was, it's and it goes a long, long way to bringing the wider parent and uh, sibling group into the picture as well. I've mm-hmm. found that in football, unlike cricket, uh, people are engaged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so when you go to the centre huddle, uh, parents are there and they want to talk to their kids and they want to give them the best advice that they can because they love their child and yeah. they want them to do well. Uh, I appreciate that. What I've found is when I've engaged those parents to be a part of the training process as well, mm-hmm those conversations that their parents are having have been able to be guided by what our philosophy is as a club and our philosophy as a coaching cohort yep. is for the development of these players. So conversations used to be like, uh, uh, you know, hey, little Brad, we want you to, this is a parent speaking, hey, little Brad, you know, you're not doing it enough. You're not running fast enough. You're not getting to position. But now the conversation is, oh, Brad, um, I, I noticed that you went and you had to tag player A, A, and you did a great job on that. That was excellent. They actually, the parents know what the system is. They understand a little bit more, yeah. Understand it a little bit more. And now little Brad, when he comes to football, he doesn't fear seeing his dad have a conversation with him at three-quarter time, yeah. half-time, or quarter time. He's actually, yeah, okay, thanks, Dad, I appreciate it. Then he'll come into the huddle, and the parents then get to hear the reinforcing words of whatever the structure is yeah. that we need to move forward with for, for, you know, for the rest of the game. And I guess it's the same as what I was talking about before, right, Joe, about bringing people on the journey mm-hmm. uh, with you. And, and I think something that we don't teach well enough, uh, you know, I currently work in volleyball as the pathways performance manager for volleyball. Mm-hmm. And one of our biggest uh, key performance indicators is upskilling and bringing the, uh, parents on the, on the journey with us yeah. and teaching our coaches how to do that. Mm-hmm. We often get stuck, and you'll know it yourself, listeners, if you go to any of the coaching webs, uh, websites for any of the major sports in Australia, um, there's a little bit of self-aggrandization in there along with um, some technical or tactical elements or some uh, ways to teach the game that they want to play. But no one ever talks about the organisation and management of coaching, yeah. which is a I would say in community sports ends up being much larger than most people give it credit for. Yep, 
And just to just to sort of wrap things up, because um, I've got no doubt that we'll be getting you on again very very soon, um, Steve. If you if that's something you'd like to be able to do to pass on um, your knowledge and wisdom to our our listeners, but um, I, I had a chat um, last week in your absence because we couldn't because your phone died, as I explained to every everybody. Um, planning, <laughs> planning. Um, I, I to to me as as a as a coach who's who's done a little bit of work. Um, in, in various fields, I've found the most important thing I can do is plan. Um, the better I plan, the better the, the session. And I think if any advice I can pass on to, to, you know, coaches getting into it for the first time, the better you can plan, the better you're going to be able to deliver, um, you know, a, a quality a quality session. Would you agree? Yeah, I just want to add to that. I think planning is all good and proper, but most people – write something down on a piece of paper and then that becomes the static plan for the season. Yeah. Planning, whilst it is important, it needs to be as dynamic as possible. It's fluid, yeah. You might rock, yeah. You might rock up the training and identify that, if, again, so I've got a periodized plan for my boys and I rocked up for cricket training uh, 10 weeks ago and realised, oh, my gosh, um, I can't institute what I inst- what I in- want to institute here. I have to reevaluate. And adapt. And adapt. And now I've got a touch point every six weeks. We go back to the plan, the captains of A grade, B grade, C grade, D grade, my assistant coaches and I. Yeah. All go back to the plan and review it to make sure that it is is right and that it is in line with our strategic direction. Yeah. um, I agree with you 100% that we have to get better at planning our sessions and I would love to come back and have more conversations. I'll just say this to the listeners. Uh, Arazio has been giving me a little bit of stick that apparently having an iPhone 5 is a bit antiquated um, and my iPhone 5 it, uh, I've just got it back and repaired it cost me $75 and I don't need to have a laptop hidden in my pocket <laughs> Okay, as long as you're happy with your little uh, brick that we <laughs> you call technology that's fantastic mate um, Look, uh Obviously, the Saka season starts very soon, a um, couple of weeks or next week. or It won't be next week, week after, or is it next week? No, no. It's much to my disappointment, and along with just about every cricketer's disappointment, it starts next weekend along with the grand final. Oh, dear. Uh, fortunately, the, fortunately, the grand final is a twilight grand final, so yeah. we'll be able to play throughout the day and then go back to the club rooms and have a bit of a grand final function. Yeah. Is it a one day to start the season? Yeah, one day to start the season and um, uh, just had a bit of a vision meeting with our players yesterday afternoon. We all went down to the club, uh, did a bit of a working bee, which was great to see. And then all the boys, all of the boys, which was even better, were out on the grass having a chat, got into their individual groups and then got into their individual uh, faculties of the game. And that's something I really want to talk to you and your listeners about, um, about uh, in the future about how we get the planning done internally mm-hmm. with the players as well. So, yep. um, yeah, looking forward to this this Saturday. It's going to be a tough ask. We're going up against the team that finished third on the ladder last year. Yeah, but that and was last we, uh, year. This year's this year. <laughs> yeah, here, here. Um, 
I'll be in touch and we'll let you know how I go. Okay. Well, just remind the boys, a quick game's a good game, um, especially when there's a grand final after the game. So get out there and get the game won or lost and uh, let's let's head into the change rooms for the uh, the after party. Um, look, well, Stephen, it's been fantastic having you um, on this morning. Um, hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have here and um, we look forward to having you on again. Can't wait. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, listeners, that was uh, Stephen Broberg, uh, coach of Prospect Cricket Club in the Saka Premier Competition, as well as Harndorf Junior Football Club. We're going to go to a few songs now. Uh, we'll start with um, uh, a bit of a a mullet special. Uh, Is This Love by Whitesnake? We'll follow that by um, a classic uh, Thin Lizzy, The Boys Are Back in Town, and then we'll finish off with... Um, uh, one that I really like anyway, um, Blister in the Sun by the Violent Femmes. You're on Inspire Radio. It is now 8.30. For the community, Inspire Radio.